Matthew's Gospel tells of the visit to Jerusalem of astrologers from eastern lands. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly, and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they, debut they departed to their own country by another way. Welcome at once again to St. John's Church. It is lovely to see you all here today. And I want to begin by asking a somewhat searching question. What are you living for? What are you living for? Maybe it's not a question we ask ourselves very much, if at all. But what is our life all about? What is it directed towards? I don't know whether you love or loathe football, but the World Cup final today is a great illustration of what many people are living for. The players, the coaches, the fans, their lives all lined up, all revolving around winning the trophy. What are you living for? Really, it's another way of asking what we worship. Family, work, comfort, reputation, honour, just getting through the day, even World Cup Glory. None of them bad things, but none of them big enough. None of them sufficiently glorious to build our lives around. Christmas reminds us there's only one thing worth living for, only one person worthy of our worship. Uh, for a few moments now, I want to draw our attention back to the reading we've just had from Matthew 2. You'll see it printed out on the sheet in front of you. And I wonder, as we were listening, how many kings we can spot in this true Bible story. And maybe just think of a number in your head. Well, if you went for more than two, you might want to look again. And we're not told the wise men are kings, are we? They're more like magicians or astrologers. Sometimes they're called magi, from which we get our word magician. They're court officials from the east. And we're not told how many there are. For all we know, there could have been 20 of them. 
Now, there are only two kings named, Herod and Jesus. And since Herod's only a puppet king, there's only really one king in this true Bible story. You see, this is all telling us Jesus is Davidic. He's God's king. Now, we might be thinking, what do you mean he's Davidic? His name is Jesus, not David. But just a little earlier, Matthew has opened his book with Jesus' family tree. And one of the big themes he's highlighting is Jesus is the long-awaited king from David's line. David was Israel's greatest king, but he's promised a descendant who will reign forever. There's a promise running all through God's word of God's king coming to rescue and rule God's people. And so the wise men rock up at the palace expecting to find the true king, or at least to be pointed in the right direction. Verse 1 again. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. All the way from the east, hundreds, maybe thousands of miles away, they've spotted this star or his star, as they call it. They're maybe from Iraq or Iran, but it's the place where God's people had been exiled hundreds of years before. And so likely they have some familiarity with the prophecies and predictions of God's word. Places like Numbers 24, where we're told a star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. Uh, They rock up at the capital city, Jerusalem, and go to the palace because that's where kings are born, right? I guess if they've traveled all this way, they might be expecting people closer to the scene to be a little more excited. But just listen again to what happens next. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. The history books tell us what a tyrant Herod was. He was so desperate to cling on to power, he has his favorite wife killed off and two of his sons. I'd hate to think what happens to his not-so-favorite wives. You see, Herod, he doesn't want a rival king, not God's true king on the block. He can't take his chances. So he gets his Bible advisors together to work out where the Christ, where God's forever king is going to be born. And here's what they say. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. They know hundreds of years earlier, it's been predicted in Micah chapter 5, God's forever king is going to come from Bethlehem, King David's hometown, just a, a few miles south of Jerusalem. But just look back to verse 1. Jesus has been born in Bethlehem of Judea. And Matthew actually adds in another reference from the Old Testament from 2 Samuel 5 to make his point really clear. This king who has just been born is going to be ruler. He is the king of God's people who David was only pointing towards. So Jesus is the true king, God's promised king, whom he's established over all. He alone is worthy of all our worship, our adoration, our praise. I don't know whether you're planning on watching the coronation of King Charles next year, but whether we're a a royalist or a republican, 
Actually, his coronation makes little difference to our lives. If you're uh, uh, down in the pub and you say something rude about the king, nothing terrible is actually going to happen to you, though I'm not condoning being rude about royalty. But Jesus isn't some momentary monarch, not a, a restricted ruler. He is God's appointed king, come to rule over all people for all time. A rebellion against him is not only futile, it's foolish. Christmas is the one time of year we get to pull crackers, isn't it? And I wonder whether you're one of those people who wears the paper crown or not. I think humanity's divided into two that way. Either way, the crown never lasts very long, does it? But here is a king whose crown never falls apart. Jesus is Davidic. He's God's long-promised king come to rule. Even as a baby, he's the king. He's been born king of the Jews. And he's also the best king because Jesus isn't just any ordinary baby. Jesus is divine. Jesus is divine. The fact these wise men come all this way suggests they're expecting someone even more than just a king. Months of planning and travel, huge expense, great upheaval. It's a lot even for a king. But Matthew, the writer, wants to show us Jesus is divine. Again, he's already told us this just a few verses earlier. We're told the baby is to be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And now it's further underlined. It makes sense of why a star's involved. It is of cosmic, universal importance. And we talk about the stars aligning when things go our way. None of us, they can make the stars align. However, God can, and he did, to ensure these distant emissaries find their way to the true king. Matthew wants us to see Jesus is more than just any ordinary king. He's more than even a mere human king. We've already said how Jesus is fulfilling the prophecy from Micah 5 by being born in Bethlehem. But just listen again to how Micah carries on. From you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. A child, a ruler was going to be born who is from of old, from ancient days. It's looking forward to one who will be born, who is the eternal God himself. It is incredible. But I don't think that's all. We're also given a clue in the presence Jesus gets. Can you remember what they were? Verse 11, then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, Jesus is getting gifts, not because he needs them. These, these wise men are giving gifts to show just how amazing he is. And they also give us a hint as to who Jesus is. Their gifts all linked to the temple. You see, here is God's king who brings God's presence and God's pardon. Actually, Jesus is offered myrrh later in his life. As Jesus hangs on the cross, dying. He is offered myrrh and wine to drink. When his body is taken down from the cross, it's wrapped in myrrh and linen. Jesus is the king who came to die. The same title the wise men give Jesus, King of the Jews, find its, finds its place over the cross 
at the end of this book. You see, God can be with us and forgive us only through Jesus' death. We all want to wear the crown ourselves, but Jesus offers us pardon from God by dealing with God's anger and our rebellion against him. You see, Herod, he is a king who takes life. But Jesus, he is the true king, the divine king, who gives his life. He is Davidic, he's God's king. He's divine, he is God's presence and pardon. And so it means Jesus is divisive. He is the one on whom we stand or fall. Sadly, we all know too well how Christmas can often be a time for arguments. Christmas jumpers, mince pies, Brussels sprouts, the Christmas number one can all be quite polarizing. But did you notice in our reading how Jesus does the same? Firstly, Herod hates him. Verse 7, then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. Now, does this this bad, this awful king Herod actually want to worship Jesus? Of course not. He he wants to know how old the child is, verse 7. When did the star arise? He wants to know where exactly this child is, verse 8. He wants to kill him. Now, we may not be a genocidal maniac like Herod, but we do all want to wear the crown. And we want to be the ones running our own lives. We don't want a rival ruler. Whether it's active hostility like Herod or just apathetic indifference like the priests and the scribes, it amounts to the same response. And we deserve God's judgment for taking the crown, for refusing his rule. Knowing the Bible wasn't enough for Herod. In fact, it was dangerous It's not enough to know who Jesus is, to know about him. I have a very real concern. People go away from this morning and think, what a lovely talk, what what an interesting topic. But being merely interested is a great starting point. It is a terrible destination when it comes to Jesus. But the wise men, the wise men, they worship him. Verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy and going into the house they saw the child with Mary his mother they fell down and worshipped him then opening their treasures they offered him gifts gold and frankincense and myrrh here are outsiders here are people who shouldn't really get it bowing down to Jesus a paraphrase of verse 10 might be they were absolutely buzzing you see you see Who are the people who Jesus has come to save? Well, anyone who bows down in worship. No one is too far off, too far gone. Not even these astrologers from the East. And God knows how to look after his people. In verse 12, he intervenes to make sure the wise men get home okay. Being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now just think about it. How do, how do you or I normally respond to a baby or a toddler? Uh, we might send a card to the parents and maybe tickle a child's toes, say how cute they look. What we don't tend to do 
is worship them or seek to wipe them out. Of all the options open to us, we don't go for bow down or obliterate them. They're too extreme, aren't they? But not for Jesus. If we haven't understood Jesus as someone worthy of all our worship and adoration, then we haven't really understood him at all. Uh, Why not take one of these uh, books at the end uh, to find out more? Uh, You might want to consider uh, signing up to the Christianity Explored course or just speak to someone uh, from St. John's Church. I know we're not told the wise men are kings and there's nothing about crowns, but just for a moment, imagine the traditional nativity scene with me. Imagine they're wearing crowns. What happens when you bow down with a crown on your head? It falls off, doesn't it? To worship Jesus means the crown falling off our own heads. We recognize Jesus is king and we are not. And that is a brilliant thing. We're handing over the reins of our life to one who loves us far more than we can imagine and knows far better than us how to run our lives. I'm reminded of a story about Queen Victoria. Uh, One day, the chaplain of Queen Victoria was preaching about Jesus' return. Afterwards, the queen goes up to him and says, Oh, how I wish that the Lord might come back in my lifetime. Why? The chaplain asks. I should so love to lay my crown at his feet. What do you worship? Who does your life revolve around? How do you even know you're aiming for the right goals in life? Only Jesus is worth staking our all on. So as we close this Christmas, will we put ourselves first like Herod? Or will we put Jesus first like the wise men, trusting his death alone to get us right with God? If we do that, it means great, overflowing, exceeding joy. But when we bow down to Jesus, the crown has to fall off our own heads. We can't both be king. Christmas is more wonderful and more challenging than we imagine. Because Jesus is more wonderful and more challenging than we imagine. I wonder this Christmas, who will wear the crown? Let me lead us in a short prayer. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for Christmas. Thank you that in your love you sent Jesus into your world to rule and to rescue your people. Please help us recognize him as the king, as our king. Help us to realize he is the only one who brings us pardon from you. And please help us to to submit to him and find our greatest joy in serving and worshiping him. In his name we pray. Amen.